Hey, everybody. Welcome to tonight's Late Night Happy Hour. Brian Kamenetsky and Andy Kamenetsky on a night where the Dodgers win their first World Series title since 1988. Woo, it's been a while. Uh, you got On a night like this, you got to bring in a guy who loves baseball, and that is Roger Lodge, host of the Sports Lodge every afternoon on AM 830. Um, and just think he's a guy who's seen things and done things and the perfect, perfect guest <laughs> perspective. How are you doing, man? Good all, to see I'm you. all about the perspective to that. Guys, how great is this? The first one in 32 years. And you got to feel good for guys like Clayton Kershaw, who's not only an amazing baseball player, but he's got, you know, that playoff thing. He's got the monkey off his back. He's one of the great young men. He, he and his wife, I don't know if you guys are aware of this or not, but he and his wife do so many amazing things. I'm just thrilled for young men like that. I'm thrilled for Dino Evil, the Dodgers third base coach, who was with my Halos for a long, long time. It's a great night for Dodger baseball, no question about it. So uh, do you, it, did you catch the look? Like they show, the Fox showed the replay of, of Kershaw coming out. I think it was a yes. ball, whatever it was, but like just like you could see the weight just lifted off of him. Such a good feeling, especially in contrast to that picture, which is one of the greatest sports pictures I've ever seen, of him in the dugout last year, just head – oh. Yeah, as I tweeted out um, in Richard Nixon voice, you won't have Kershaw to kick around anymore. <laughs> like you, you're, you're need to look for somebody else at this point because Kershaw. And how, John, and how about John Smoltz on the broadcast, a guy who has been where Kershaw has been, and he took us through that narrative and said, "You have no idea what this feels like unless you've been there." Like he has, and for Kershaw to have that feeling tonight is absolutely fantastic. Um, so much to get into tonight because, I mean, okay, first World Series since 88. There's a whole day. You know, Kershaw, Corey Seager was amazing. I mean, I am legitimately was kind of concerned about Rob Manfred's health um, at the end of this thing. Uh, there's the Justin Turner COVID thing, uh, which is weird. Uh, <laughs> I think is going to require at least some sort of explanation. Yeah. Let's start with the game itself because – the beginning of this thing looked like it was going to be a disaster. Gonsolin gives up the quick home run to Rosarena and, you know, more base runners. He's out of the game in an inning and two thirds, I think it was. And like that looked like it was going to be a disaster. But you look up a few innings later, Roger, and it's still they've only got one run. And I, I, I Tampa had to be kicking themselves over this. And the fact that Gonsolin, you know, he gives up the home run, but that was it. Dylan Floro came in, was terrific. Alex Wood threw two perfect innings. A shout-out to Alex Wood. And then Pedro Gasoline Canvaez came in. It was actually good tonight. Victor Gonzalez was good. Brewster Gretterall. And then Julio Urias at the end of the game Ooh. reminded me a lot. Remember when the Angels won it in 2002? By the way, it's the anniversary. They won it 18 years ago tonight. But anyway. Okay, we get it. We get it. You got to throw <laughs> the Angels in there. We understand, that's two. Roger. That's two, Roger. And the show's only been on for, for three <laughs> the, minutes. The, thir the third, you, you start paying. You know, Ebel in there. <laughs> and Urias, the 18th anniversary of the title. Furious <laughs> was very Frankie Rodriguez tonight. Yeah. Just pitched like a veteran. He pitched like a man. And you know what? You know, you guys know this. You've been around sports long enough. Certain guys are just ball players. Julio Urias, and how about the fact his dad is home in Mexico watching his 24-year-old son? He's hanging on every single pitch he threw. But Urias, he was he he was flat out 
fantastic. Well, the thing that I the thing that I think is really exciting about Urias beyond the fact that he just pitched so well, and I mean that that final strikeout is going to be something that is going to be remembered by Dodger fans from now until the end of time. Yeah, he's been somebody that I've always wondered how much confidence. Dave Roberts and, and really the organization had in him because there had always been this talk about him either being a starter in high leverage moments or a reliever in high leverage moments. And it wasn't happening. You know, each year he was either having arm troubles or they were being they were using so so much kid gloves with him. He was right. never in those moments this year. I mean, there, there are a lot of different breakout stories, you know, Corey Seager, Mookie Betts's first season with the Dodgers, Cody Bellinger as things went along. But you're going to remember this, I think, as the year Julio Urias really introduced himself as a Dodger. Yeah, he broke out. And tonight, you're absolutely right. People are going to remember this performance tonight forever in Dodger lore. And how about this little question as you're watching Game 6 of the World Series tonight? And like I say, we saw Gonsolin and Floro and Wood and Baez, Gonzalez, Gradwell, and Urias has uh, – has Jansen, has Kenley Jansen thrown his last pitch for the Dodgers? How would you guys Ooh. respond to that? I don't think so. We, we were talking about that with J.P. Hornster yesterday. Um, and we've asked and basically anybody who comes on talking about the Dodgers. We asked, yeah, we asked John question. Weissman as well. Yeah, and uh, Bergman when he was on. Like, and everybody seems to think no. But the question is, like, what does he look like when he comes in? I mean, like, Urias is going back into the starting rotation. It's not you turn him into the closer. But is it Gratterall? Do you keep trining around next year? Like, there's so much to think about with with where these guys go, um, and and all that. But like that ninth inning was art. I mean, it was yeah. like I, mean, I, I we saw a lot of people in my timeline and our timeline. Andy was like, "How do you not swing? You go down, you know, how, you you strike out looking like you can't hit those pitches." Yeah. Guys coming in painting the inside corner at 96, you're not going to hit that pitch. Even if sometimes you're just better. You're just breaking a bat. But how about this? Here's the biggest question and the biggest decision that the Dodgers have moving forward, when they're cutting up their playoff shares, do they include Tampa Bay manager Kevin Cash <laughs> a yeah. full World Series? What was he thinking taking Blake Snell out of that ballgame, fellas? I, I, if you had placed, you know, because there's prop bets for everything in Vegas. Yeah. If you had placed, you know, 100 bucks on a prop bet that Austin Barnes would be the guy that knocks Blake Snell out of this game, you'd walk away from that $100 bet with at least $100,000. Yeah. Like, I mean, nobody would have seen that. Austin Barnes? Like Austin, like, Austin Barnes. I mean, I guess maybe you could look at that and say, okay, Austin Barnes just got a hit. Maybe that would be enough to shake you. Like, may, like maybe that would actually be enough to shake Kevin Cash that, like, Barnes is the guy – because he's not a hitter, but I wasn't that his second hit that Snell had given up to that point? Two hits in the game. He had thrown 73 pitches. He His stuff tonight was, was at a whole different level than any time before in the postseason for him. But here's the thing that drove me nuts. You're taking Blake Snell out of the game, to and, and you're bringing in Nick Anderson, who, God bless him, now has the postseason record oh. for allowing a run in seven consecutive outings. And you take him out because Mookie's coming up, who had only hit 200 this season against left-handers, came into the game tonight hitting 227 in the World Series, it, and he hadn't done a thing against. It was legit shocking. I mean, like, it, and this is something, and I, I don't, I don't mean this, you know, to be a backhanded compliment or to 
you know, try to take a cheap shot at something. I feel like there's but a just, butt coming. Well, no, no, but it's something that <laughs> it's something that Dodger fans will understand because it, he's been under the microscope for it so much. This is the type of decision that Dodger fans expect Dave Roberts to make. You know, right. in terms of bullpen management, when you take the guy out, you know, it, the idea that, for example, keeping Julio Urias in as long as he did, I think there were Dodger fans nervous that Dave Roberts might overthink it or see some type of matchup or analytics or whatever, as opposed to just keep the guy in that's throwing. The idea of pulling Blake Snell in that moment, I mean, I, I was just jaw-dropping. I, I couldn't believe it. I could not crazy. believe it. Again, let me, let me uh, equate it to this. Remember back when we were single and you'd go to a party in high school or maybe your college and that really hot cheerleader or young lady that you've been dying to talk to, you knew she was going to be there. When you get to the party and there's some dork hanging around there, <laughs> just can't get rid of this guy, okay? And he finally leaves the party and you're the happiest guy there. That's Mookie Betts tonight when Blake Snell was taken out of the game. Nobody in that ballpark was happier to see Blake Snell leave the game than Mookie Betts. It was it was like Roger, I, I'm sure you heard it. And he kind of he got better at answering the question. He was asked like six times as the post game went along. But when Seeger, <laughs> the first time Seeger was asked, you know, what was your reaction when they took took out uh took Snell out? And I think this was on Spectrum. He referred to it as like he referred to Snell stuff as gross, <laughs> like in, in like a good way. It was like the most complimentary yeah. way. It was like we yeah. couldn't believe it. Bellinger was asked about it afterwards on Fox. It was Bellinger. Said, I'm sorry, it was Bellinger, right? Thank he said you. I was shocked. And by yeah. the way, Jay Franco G says, not sure all people's single life is the same as Rogers. <laughs> <laughs> I but, did sort I certainly sympathize with the dork who was around the hot girl, wasn't going anywhere. <laughs> I mean, that part I that part I I recognize. It was just, I mean. It's. I realize this is what Tampa has done all season long. They've leaned on their bullpen. They've, but at this point in a series, like you're up one nothing. The guy who gave up one hit, and you're already going to go deep into your bullpen. It's been ta- like nothing about this decision yeah. made any sense. And it fell apart at all. so quickly. And it's not other- like it fell apart the next inning where you're thinking right. about okay, maybe you go one more. It immediately yeah. blew up. Literally the next batter, it blew up. Inside the line and down, you know, inside the bag and down the line, a double for Mookie Betts. I mean, it was unbelievable. Unbelievable. And this will hang over Kevin Cash's head for a long time. It's it's Dusty Baker, Russ Ortiz all over again. Yeah. I mean, and, and Kevin Kevin Cash is a good manager. Yeah. Like, I mean, like, that's the thing about this is it's not like the Rays. They, he took a team with a collective payroll of $78 to the World <laughs> Series. Like, it's not like you look at the Rays and go, oh, wow, they've been winning in spite of their manager. But here's He's a good thing. manager. But here's the thing that drives me nuts. Baseball is such a feel game. The manager has to have a feel for how the game is going. And you would think Kevin Cash would have had a better feel for his own guy tonight in Blake Snell, but he just didn't have that feel tonight. And it, it was Blake Snell's night. It was clearly his night. I was going to say, what's the feel? The you guy know, giving least, up a second hit. let him get into a jam before you pull him. Yeah, exactly. Let him get into a little bit of trouble. But and, and the other thing is they're saying on the broadcast, well, this is the formula. This is what the Rays do during the regular. This isn't the regular season. Nope. This is the postseason where everything is different. 
I just, it was, it what's, I think one of the things that's sort of underrated and fast because you go through, and we talked about this at the beginning of the series, and this is something that, that I, I might have been Bergman, it might have been JP, it might have been you, Andy, that even that made a good baseball point. Like the Dodgers, the Dodgers were the team that was expected to win the game like this tonight, where they throw the bullpen game and it's Gonsolin for an inning and two thirds, and you're cobbling it together and all that kind of stuff. That's what you would expect from Tampa. Like the the role reversal here, um, in terms of how these games were played out, it was you know Tampa that started the conventional starters and did, like it didn't work out the way it was supposed to. But I I can't, and I want to take stuff. I don't want to make it about like what the Dodgers did or didn't do. Where like you know they they were given a they were given a gift. Yep. They were flat out gifted the opportunity to win this game. And, you know, after that, they, the Rays relievers pitched fine. It wasn't a big deal. And, you know, they gave up the, the homer in the ninth the best. But, you know, he wouldn't have been in the game at that point. I, they, were, they were given – and to their credit, they took advantage. You know, you're not going to beat the Dodgers scoring one run. But tonight, I had the feeling late in that game when Snell was still in there, I, I kept saying to myself, the only chance the Rays have to get this to a game seven is if Blake Snell – pitches a one nothing victory tonight and of course that all came out uh, unglued when he when he yanked it but i still kevin cash has got some explaining to do and i'm sure he's already Oof. done it but i can't wait to hear his theory yeah. why they- I, I i saw somebody note on twitter that they really wish i mean for all the multitude of reasons that we wish this pandemic was over you really wish the pandemic was over just so you could see kevin cash's entire face like at the moment when it fell apart, yeah. like just to see his entire facial expression, because uh, you know, for better or for worse, these are the moments you remember, and you only see you know his eyes, which revealed a lot. But the entire facial expression would have been pretty amazing. And I don't know about you guys, but when they had the close up at the end of the game of Corey Seager, and he's the think about this, he's in his early twenties, he's the World Series MVP. And they should have shown it again in slow motion when he took his helmet off. That's first team all hair. And you, oh. know, you know darn well he got himself a head and shoulders commercial tonight out of this World Series MVP. You know what, though? On, on this particular team, he's got competition. Sure he does. Yeah, I mean, you know, we've seen a lot of attention paid for Cody Bellinger's hair, yep. you know, particularly with that headband. It's glorious. Clayton Kershaw has had that thing going That's, for a long, yeah. long time. I mean, it might be somewhat goofy looking, but Dustin May's hair, I, okay, is that by was any question. objective what, measure, is great. This is a this is really a, a test of whether or not you are sort of have an anti ginger bias because you're right. Just in terms of quantity, volume, the ability, even just to stuff all that shit into a hat, it's impressive. Yeah. But it's goofy looking. I mean, it is. I, I don't think anybody has seen Carrot Top and Dustin May in the same room at the same time. <laughs> I got my suspicions there. But Dustin May, that hair is just glorious. I mean, G- Gonsolin. Gonsolin's yeah. got good hair. I mean, there's a lot There's a lot of hair competition on that yeah. team. I, I, You might be premature, Roger, in just giving this to Seager. He, he's, oh, he's a World Series MVP, and I, I'm not going to take that away from him. But you know you got to walk before you run with it with this particular group. I do want to give credit to what I think might be the tweet of the night regarding Kevin Cash and Blake Snell from Will Brinson, uh, NFL writer at CBS, host of the the Pick Six Pod podcast. Um, 
that basically just said, oh, no, I just I got off it so I could read his profile properly. Kevin Cash trying to leak a report that Blake Snell had a positive COVID test, too. <laughs> like, <laughs> like maybe maybe that's the reason he could sneak it in there. Like, it wasn't me. I had to pull him. He's he's full of the COVID. Um, hey, hey, guys, how about this? Even before any of this postseason started or any baseball whatsoever, you go back to March when they shut down spring training and we were all just hoping and praying that we'd get some baseball in, some games to watch. And these guys got all the way through to a World Series. And, and yeah, a lot of players involved. But think about not only hundreds, but the thousands of people that worked around the clock to bring us baseball games. And the fact that we got this far, my hat's off to Well, it's amazing. Especially it's when you consider the start. Like the yeah. first month of baseball, you're like, "There's no way in hell this is going to happen." Yeah. Like, I mean, it the Mar the Marlins were a hot spot, like to themselves. They were a human hot spot. Like they were, they're like the equivalent of the White House right now. They I mean, like that. And they made it to the postseason. After yes, that. I mean, it, it was unbelievable. But like yeah. the Mar the Cardinals also had their issues, and they managed to get to the playoffs. I, I as think well. I wonder too. I, I wonder if the the severity of the Marlins outbreak actually kind of saved some of the season sure. because if like one or two guys here, one or two guys there, it doesn't seem like it's a big deal when every Marlin anywhere <laughs> like gets COVID yeah. like actual fish. were getting COVID from that team. I think that sort of it, it reinforced like how seriously everybody is an interesting way of looking at it. I never thought about that. If, you know, and like the NFL, I, 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 you know, some of the stuff with Titans and the Raiders, you've seen, yeah, the, you know, the, you, you've seen just enough of it, to where guys really understand like this stuff can spread really fast, particularly in football. There's not you know, baseball, the, the gymnastics they did to get some of these games in, you know, not everybody plays the same. You play 73 games in four days, whatever you have to do. It, like you can't do that in football. You just, there is no flexibility because you only play once a week. Um, I, I, I think that actually helped. Um, and plus it's at the time, it seemed like it was the most disposable team out there in the Marlins. And you're right. They had the playoffs. Can I ask you guys a question? Can I play host for a minute? Sure. Because I mentioned how thrilled I was for a great guy like Clayton Kershaw and Dino Ebel, who was the third base coach for my Halos for a long time. Who's the guy in Major League Baseball? Is there a guy that you root for? And it's for a reason nobody really knows, but you know the reason, and that's why you like I I hope that's Don a good question. Mattingly, I hope Don Mattingly never loses a baseball game ever, ever again. And I'll tell you why in a minute. But is there someone that you can think of that you just really root for in baseball and it's for a whole different reason? I mean, the obvious one is, is Kershaw because everyone, everyone roots for Kershaw. Yeah. I'm trying to, it's been a, it's been a few years since I've been around the Dodgers or around a baseball team enough. I mean, to there, for a while for me, it was either Puig or Matt Kemp because I think I thought both for very different reasons took more crap than they deserved. I mean, and, and to be fair, like Puig by a lot of accounts could be a pain in the ass in the clubhouse. And there sure. were, you know, there was a, there were accountability issues that were on him that he had been in the league long enough that at some point it's on you to figure out how to do certain things. It's on you to figure out how not to alienate teammates. Right. But I also think that there was a period where as he was acclimating himself to you know not just baseball but to america to this completely you know harrowing experience that he went through 
just to get to America. And then, you know, the things that we learned about that have been happening after the fact, you know, there was a lot going on with Puig. And during that period, I think he was enabled too much for his own good by the Dodgers. But that being said, there was something so much fun about Puig when sure. he was really on in that energy. And you know, for a couple of years, I actually thought the Dodgers missed him. You know, maybe I wouldn't have wanted to share a clubhouse with him, but I, I was rooting for him to figure it out. And then Matt Kemp for a long time, and this was during a period when Brian and I covered the team, I just thought he was unfairly cast as the villain. And, and there was a lot of different things that I think went into that, you know, as you know, baseball is a sport that I think a lot of the older guard media has not quite figured out some of the racial elements and particularly covering young black players. And Matt Kemp, I think for some of them was, you know, a little too, little too hip hop, a little too cool in their minds. And they wanted to see him more contrite and humble in ways that I just didn't think were fair. And a lot of ways I just thought were petty. And I really liked Matt and I, I wanted, I rooted for him and, and for his success. And I thought it was really fun actually the year that he came back to the Dodgers. So those are the two guys off the top of my head. Those are pretty good, Andy. How about you, Brian? Got one? I'm still I'm still trying to think. Like it's what I think is great about that question is it it's it like it's a reminder that like you not that I, I I would I will I as a matter of policy always like I do not know any of these people. I don't know them like in any like real way that you know I've never hung out with them. And you know, even if right. you write a sit down, you do a few interviews, you write a story, you do whatever, you still don't know these guys. Um, some people do. I don't. You you understand, like I think the Puig thing is a great example. You just you learn to understand like there's always something going on here. There's always like a little bit more to a story, like before. And I, I think this is a lesson that obviously all of us, especially right now, Roger, can be carrying around. It's like you don't know what's going on in somebody's life. You don't know what somebody's background is, how they got from point A to point B. Right. And particularly in sports, we feel like as sports fans, because we buy tickets, because we you know spend our money to watch them go do what it is that they do, that we have a right to just, whether it's to invade their space, to invade their privacy, to judge them in ways we would never judge our accountant or our plumber or you know, uh, you know anybody. A, yeah, that that the these are people. Um, they're extraordinary people often, but they're still people, and they have stories. Where sometimes they're assholes. They just are. I mean, like sometimes the people you meet at the grocery store are. But I, I, I mean, Kershaw's the one that sticks out. You know, I remember with the Lakers. You know, you're around the team long enough. A lot of the times, it's the people in the front office that you get to know. You root sure. for the the people making decisions and all that kind of stuff. I, I, I will say this is an incredibly likable team. The, the the LA has had now two in the space of a few weeks, two really likable teams yeah. win titles. Um, it looked like it looked like that those Lakers were all on the same page and everyone yeah. got along and there was a brotherhood down in the bubble. That was a really cool thing. It, it started, I mean, you know, I mean, we're around that team a lot. It started from minute one. Like they are among the most connected, close teams. I've ever been around in any sport, much less the Lakers. And they just, they were extremely enjoyable to cover. You know, I mean, they, they just had a great energy to be around. Like you really, you enjoyed talking with these guys after practice. You enjoyed, you know, as much as anybody can enjoy being in a scrum, you know, feeling like you're just cattle, you know, <laughs> waiting around for, for guys to, 
waiting around for guys to show. I mean, you've done it. it it's if there's one good thing, and I mean it may only be one good thing that came from this pandemic and the way it changed sports, it was the realization that there's a better way to do post game and there's a better way to do all of this stuff than the way we had been doing it before which was just cram as many people as possible around one person which uh, with as little space as anybody can have right. it's right. awful who like, often I, arrives at that location naked because they right. have yeah. to where like, there's nothing about it that's, that it isn't even awkward for everyone yeah i mean like i i think we all learn there's a better way to do this and like there's certain like i remember the the, the last few games before uh the nba shut down there were already COVID measures in place and we were no longer going into the locker room uh, or we, th they were setting up like these post games in one of the side rooms and we we're going to the locker room less, but there was still that period where we were in there and we were crammed, even though they were keeping us away. Right. The players, the players, were, still, the players were distanced from us, but we were not distanced from each other. Right. And you're sitting there going like, what is going on? Like, <laughs> like clearly, if there are measures being taken to protect these guys, what the hell are we doing? Like, why are we all in this building? Like, I remember the last three or four games before the shutdown, I, I was so self-conscious of everybody around us. Like, there, there's a great oh, episode... Oh yeah, there's a great episode of The Simpsons where Mr. Mr. Uh, Mr. Burns basically devolves into Howard Hughes during the super germ phobic phase when he was like living in his home and growing peeing, his nails uh, out in the, the jars. Yeah, peeing in the jars and growing out his nails the size of like Wolverine. You know, when Hugh, Hugh Jackman was playing him, and he starts seeing everybody as just human germs, and like, and that's the way <laughs> I was seeing everybody inside Staples Center. And we're seeing these measures taken to protect the players. But in the meantime, I'm in a building with like 30,000 people in it. I'm like, this, this is a fucking joke. Like, what are we doing? What are we doing here? It was funny too, was, you know, Roger, because like you start to cover these things. Well, it could be the last one in, in six months. What if they have to, I have to show up? But like, then you, you go home and you think about, well, wait a minute. If it's the last one in six months, why do I need to show up? So if it, it, hey guys, it's part of the craft. Me the interview. Give me the interview that you did with someone in person and it just didn't go well. The guy was a total jerk. For me, oh, uh, Willie Mays didn't go well. Really? Oh, no. Who's your Willie Mays? Oh, no. I, I That's so that's many just, Willie Mayses. That's just um, depressing to hear. <laughs> I... I've had I had some bad experience. God, who is the guy? Like a lot of it goes back to Dodger. Baseball players for me have always been though. The basketball guys I've I really haven't. But I remember like it's always like it's like the Brett Tomkos of the world. Yeah. Oh my God, who was it in the Angels clubhouse? Who I this is one of the first times. Oh no. I got into it was one of the first times I was ever in a clubhouse, and so I technically didn't really totally know what I was doing. But I got too close to one of the couches that they sit on. And I, somebody from somewhere in the locker room, one of the players, I just heard, don't lean on that couch. Whoa. I was like, whoa, okay, will <laughs> not be. And I just like shrank back into the corner. Um, I, I, yeah, I'm trying. I, I don't know who that voice was. Like that was, that wasn't good. I wouldn't even interview. It's <laughs> still kind of scary. Um, um Trying to, okay, I can think of a couple times where the, these were not for. I have not. I've been fortunate enough. I've not had too many that was formal. The biggest jerk, Andy. Who's the guy who yelled at you? 
Yeah. I was about to get to that. Um, oh, okay. Andy well, Ashby. Andy, a- yes. Andy Ashby yelled at me in the Dodger club. I, I was doing, I don't even remember what I was doing, but I was waiting for a specific player. And it was like one of those times where you're just waiting and there's nobody in there. And it came down, basically, it was just me and Andy Ashby. And I'm just like waiting. And finally, he looks over at me and goes, can I help you? Wow. And I'm like, wow. no, I'm, I'm just waiting for somebody. He says, well, you know, you've been just kind of hanging out in here. I just want to see if I can help you out. And I'm like, no, I, I needed to talk to somebody and it's not you. So I'm just here. That's and what he just, he, do. Yeah. And he just every couple of minutes, he's like, you're still here? Like, you're, I'm like, Jesus, dude. Like, I... Like, shut up you, Andy to, Ashby. you want me to leave or do you want me to interview you like You're I can't Andy Ashby. Relax. right I'm like what the hell is your problem then I remember um it was the 2006 playoffs between the Clippers and the Nuggets oh and Kenyon Martin got ejected from a game and I was in the Nuggets uh locker room after the game you know in one of those scrums and I asked Kenyon Martin who to, to be fair, every other time I've ever dealt with him, he's been really nice. But Kenyon Martin is a really intimidating guy. Yeah. And he's got like a three-mile stare. And, you know, this is back, you know, during Kenyon Martin's, you know, prime years. And, you know, he was known as, you know, not just like an all-star level player, but he was known as like one of the prime tough guys in the league. Sure. So I, I asked him what happened during this thing where he got ejected. And he looks at me and goes, nothing. And I... Just respond. I go nothing, and he goes nothing. And basically, <laughs> everybody nothing. in the scrum, everybody in the scrum is afraid to, to ask another question, and he just walks off. Did he have tattoos on his neck? I'm yes, yes. he got the neck tattoos. That's no, he still again, does. Yeah. Every other time I've ever dealt with Kenyon Martin, really nice, like yeah. really. But you know, he was an intimidating presence when he wanted to be, and he really was in that moment. So, what do you what do you think about this season? Because, like you know, 1980 is a long time. Like it has been a while since. Okay, the, the Dodgers really quick, it. some oh. perspective. I looked this up. Uh huh. When last the Dodgers won a World Series, October twelfth, nineteen eighty-eight. Yeah. The the number one movie in America, Alien Nation, with but James Gunn, among yeah. other people. That number I, one. I find it amazing that movie made it to number one. No, I guess it was a slow time. Number one song, "Love Bites" by Def Leppard. Wow. Number one album, "Appetite for Destruction," Guns and Roses. Oof. Clayton Kershaw. Almost seven months old. Almost. That's how long it's been. What Almost were you doing months. in 1988? Um, I was working at Santa Pietro's restaurant in Studio City. And the night Gibson hit the home run in game one off of Eckersley on the backdoor slider with the parking lights, parking, the, the, the parking lights as the cars were leaving right. the ballpark as the ball sailed over Conseco's head in right field. Uh, I was working at, at a restaurant and there was a pretty young lady who would come into the restaurant and I gave, I, she wanted me to walk her to her car. So I walked her to her car. And as I was walking back in, the restaurant inside exploded. Oh no. Out onto the street. They were screaming and yelling and cheering. No, it exploded with excitement. And, right. And well, yeah, yeah. I didn't mean it literally. Home. And it was, it, <laughs> 
Lucky you, Roger. (laughs) Thank God you survived. The the last time the Dodgers won the World Series, Mike Sosha was their catcher. I know. Mike Marshall was in right field and dating Belinda Carlisle from the Go-Go's. That's how long ago it was. Interesting tie into that. Belinda Carlisle, my first crush. Get out. No, absolutely. 100% my first crush. I I just watched the Showtime documentary on the Go-Go's. It's great. Oh yeah. It's the, they were rock stars. Yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely. I mean, they were the real deal rock stars. Here's the question that everyone watching us right now wants to know and I'll start with BK. The, problem, the question is why are they talking about the Go-Go's? The Dodgers <laughs> just won the World Series. <laughs> but that's the show. I mean, the so people by now know what they're getting into. First female poster on your wall, Brian. No, never had. I didn't have any. I, I was, I what? was, I went music and sports and this and that. I was, I didn't have like the, you know, the yeah, Heather Locklear awesome. posters and stuff like that. Wow. Um, look, I'm not, I wasn't like saying, like, I, I remember stealing the Victoria's Secret catalog when it came home. <laughs> like, I, I'm not saying I didn't. Who didn't? Kids today don't understand how easy they had. Like, to, to try to find a nipple back in our day, you had to work for it. And you might only be able to see through just through the little part in the lingerie. Like you're not, you get, you really did have to use your imagination and dig through like your dad's drawers. <laughs> like you had to work for it. Gumption. Now it's just easy for everyone. I tell you, when, when I was a kid, we played little league in uh, in Bloomington, where I grew up here in California. It's out down the ten freeway uh, near Fontana. It's out there, and we would play baseball in an open field it was just an open field with trash and everything everywhere and in right center field was an old playboy magazine so i learned how to be an opposite field hitter quite well because i would always go the other way hit it to right center and there was no one playing outfield so i'd have to go chase it and then you could sneak a peek of the magazine when you're out there <laughs> right center okay I, I'll, I'll do the opposite field hitter did you know, Andy, did you know that Benny, our, our grandpa, they, you know, you knew about the gigantic pile yes. of old Playboys. In yes. There. So yes, like yeah. in the 80s, <laughs> yeah. you know, the 80s, like, so like discovered them. Right. Yeah, but like, but like, it's a very, it's an, it's an odd introduction into naked women because a 60s and 70s Playboy looked different back then. The sure. photography was different. The shape of the women was different. Like everything about, so like, you know. Spent some time down there. Barbie Benton was a, a first-team all-star back in those days. Ladies okay. like that, Adrian Barbeau. Yes. Yeah. You can't teach what those ladies were doing back then. Okay, no, but <laughs> you can't I, teach. I got to rewind. <laughs> so you hit opposite field. Yeah. And you go to right field. Do you go to right field on the way to rounding the bases, or do you go after you round the bases? After you round the bases. Okay, because I was going to say, otherwise, everybody's just waiting for you <laughs> to finish. The, like, I mean, I mean, you see how upset the the other team gets when you just just sneak a peek at your home run. You know, much less admire it. If everybody has to wait for you to look at the Playboy in right center, like I'm that, glad, that could get really uh, tested. You brought that up. Cause don't we like Randy Rosarena for the Tampa Bay race. Didn't you really enjoy watching this guy during the world series? We need more oh, yeah. Rosarenas in the world. He's great. Yeah. I, I'll be honest. I was completely unfamiliar with who he was until the playoffs. I, sure. I really had no idea who the guy was. He is so much fun. 
Like that guy is that guy is going to be great. Yeah. And I mean, for that matter, that Rays team, Cardinals you're gonna see away. them, you're Can't gonna see them it. back in the series. Like that team could very well end up winning a championship sometime soon. Like they're really good. They lost in six games to the best team on the planet, and they hit 233 as a team this season. 233! And they made it to game six of the World Series. That's pretty impressive. I just, I actually think this was a series that did, and really a playoffs, that did a lot of good for baseball moving through some of the 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 impediments that they have of being just really old school and boring and stayed and all that because you know you have it was it was a lot of emotion being showed but you had Tatis earlier in the playoffs doing right. amazing stuff and all these home runs and a Rosarena and you know Cody Bellinger and and you know Mookie Betts Mookie brings Betts. energy everywhere he goes he is one yeah. of the most charismatic likable athletes I have seen. like. I remember when when the, my wife is a really big Dodger fan, but she doesn't really follow baseball. She just follows the Dodgers. So when when the Dodgers made that trade, she was like, "Is this as big a deal as everybody's making it out to be?" I'm like, "Oh my god, you have no idea! Yeah. I'm like you have no idea how great this guy is." She fell in love with Mookie Betts in like five minutes. Like he beyond being great, he is so enjoyable to root for. Like Dodger fans, this is your guy. For the next decade, decade plus, yeah, and him you're, and you're, Walker Bueller and like like again, this is what I go back to Roger saying before. Like this is a this is a likable team, and it's and it's you know I feel too like now that they've finally got one, you know, and the pressure is like okay, you can restart the clock. They're going to be in the World Series at least a few more times over the next few years. The team is just too good. They've got plenty of money. They've got young players. It's, like I feel like now, like Kershaw could get two or three. Even the, the you know, I guess there's a sort of an irony to him not being able to do it, and he's the elite guy on the team. But collecting two or three more as a really good pitcher on the back end of his career, like it's a, it's just crazy how these things can turn, and you know, Seager can keep doing stuff and Bellinger can, you know, he was not bad in the postseason for the first time, uh, you know, this year, you know, Bueller is amazing and may has potential in those, you know, tight. I don't know if they can make their pants any tighter and all that. Maybe that's part of it, but like, this is a team that could do this a lot over and, the and next couple you, of years. You guys kind of feel like in Mookie Betts, I don't know about you, but we knew Anthony Davis was a great player but then we got to watch him every night, and you realize, oh, my God, this guy's unbelievable and the perfect guy to take the baton from LeBron in a couple of years. Same thing with Mookie Betts. I knew Mookie Betts was a great baseball player. I think he's the second-best player in the game next to the kid that plays center field with my Angels. But the thing about Mookie Betts that's so gosh darn impressive, the little things, the little things, getting his you know, uh, just those little fundamental things. He dominates the details, and that's what the great ones do. It's really fun to watch. The defense in that Atlanta series was just stunning. Like, for, I mean, it's easy. Like, since they went down 3 1, the Dodgers were, you know, almost perfect. But you forget, like, they were down 3 1 in that series. That series yeah. was almost over. And, you know, Mookie Betts saved them repeatedly. With defense, yeah, and it's just, I, it's, a, it's you got a guy named Mookie. Generally speaking, you're setting yourself up for success because in Mookies LA, are good in LA, in Hollywood for the next ten years. How great is that for Dodger fans? 
Oh, oh also, uh, whoa, is my sound yeah, off? I or? think no. Yeah, you. I think you popped onto some sort of weird mic, weird thing. Better now, marginally. Better-ish. Yeah. Okay. okay. Use your inside uh, voice. Yeah. Cabrera. Cabrera. NHS points yeah. out too. Vindication for Dave Roberts, like another guy who a likable as hell. Yeah. I mean, just. I don't know anybody who doesn't like Dave Roberts. Well, even if you think he's bad at his job, you still like the person. That's what I'm saying. He is a great, great guy. But somebody who has been under the microscope for so many years, despite actually being really successful by any measurement, and I'm not, I'm not saying that none of the scrutiny has been warranted, but he's somebody now that – to. The point you were making before about how these guys may feel that pressure alleviated and might all of a sudden, you know, see those floodgates open up where they can win one or two more over, say, the next five years. There's got to be a lot lifted off Dave Roberts's shoulders, too. Without question. But the, the other thing about that, guys, is you're doing your job on national television Millions of people are scrutinizing every single move you make. Now, granted, he's made some curious moves in the past. Every manager has done it. Like tonight, Alex Wood, two perfect innings, and he got pulled out of the game. I thought Alex Wood was in a groove tonight, and I would have liked to have seen him continue. Can you imagine the narrative right now if Pedro Baez wouldn't have been good tonight? And when you use, what was it, six different pitchers like the Dodgers used tonight, Usually one of those guys is going to have an off night. And, but tonight it just all went. I, I think, so. and I, th I think it was intentional. I think we saw tonight and we, this, this, we did talk about with JP time is a flat circle. I don't remember anything or who I'm speaking to at any particular time. Uh, <laughs> I'm very pleased that your name is on the screen, Roger. Otherwise I, I forget who I'm talking to Excuse now. Excuse me, Sparky. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I think what they were doing was, we're going to, we'll see if all of these guys line up and they pitch well, great. But we want to have Bueller with, you know, Kenley if we need him, Trinan if we need him, like, you know, Gratterall if we like, we're going to line up the guys that we need for game seven. So we have the best possible options available to us. I, I think they were half punting this or being or willing to punt it, especially given how well Snell was pitching. Right. But again, you look up in the sixth inning and you're still only down by one run. I, yeah. It was it was unbelievable. I, yeah. You kind of got that feeling that throughout the game tonight, the Dodgers were thinking, "Yeah, we still got tight pants in our back pocket for Game Seven if if we need to get there." You know. Yeah, I, I I don't know how they get. I mean, I remember like in football, like you know, sometimes you you kind of squeeze those things on, but I've never seen that with baseball. Between Bueller and May, I mean, it's like those things are painted on. So yeah. now is the time that you can ask uh, Walker Bueller that question about his yes. pants <laughs> trending. Like now is the appropriate time. <laughs> like it was not the appropriate time no. coming right off a loss. Right. But now you can ask Walker Bueller, hey, remember when your pants were trending on Twitter? Uh, on Twitter? What do you think of that? You know, are those wait, wait. baseball pants or are those skinny jeans that he wears out to the mound? You know what they were, Roger? They were pants from the last time the Dodgers won the series <laughs> in 88. Like that's, <laughs> that's how everybody wore them back then. Let me ask you, though, because you had said that you think that Mike Trout is the best player in baseball, and that's obviously not a controversial opinion. Right. How much separation do you think that there is actually between those guys? Because it's unquestionably one of the two between Mookie and, and Trout. 
And the other thing is it's such a streaky game, which is mm-hmm. one of the things I think that uh, Kevin Cash blew tonight because these guys get on a roll and you got to ride them. When, when your guys are hot, you got to ride them. He didn't ride Blake Snell tonight. But I've seen Mike Trout in just, I mean, it's like he's hitting a beach ball coming up to the plate. He's jumping off the wall like Spider-Man making plays. I've been out at spring training every year for the last 12 years. And I show up at the field at 7.30 in the morning and who's in center field working on his game, but the best player in baseball. Uh, it, it's, they're so good. It's like splitting hairs at this point. And, you know, it all depends on who's hot at that particular time. And uh, I've seen Mike Trout when he's absolutely on fire, seen him go through some tough times as well. But Mookie Betts is, as, I mean, if you're going to go Mike Trout or Mookie Betts, can't go wrong with either guy. I, I think I think the biggest. I mean, I, I think I think Trout is I think the best player in baseball. The difference is just sort of if you're if you're not a diehard and you just are a person tuning in. The yeah, Mike. I've had a few conversations with him. He is a very nice guy, but he he doesn't he doesn't exude the same kind of you know, uh, you know whatever it is exuberance or exuding exuberance like charisma whatever it is as as mookie it's just not his personality it's not a knock on trout but there's an animation to 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 mookie bets that i think if you're somebody who tunes in for the world series or somebody tunes in for the playoffs it's going to grab you in ways that trout doesn't like you got to watch mike trout not maybe not every day he kind of jumps off the screen anyway but like to really appreciate just how good he is like most baseball players you have to watch him every day like you said with Mookie like you see it you see it you see it with LeBron you see it with Anthony Davis and you get it like okay I knew this somebody told me they were good and I think that's the biggest difference between those guys I mean but I mean geez what what don't they do I mean they both play defense they both run they both hit the you know I mean I don't know what there is and a little something on Mike Trout, and I have the honor and pleasure of often hosting team events for the Angels. Like we'll go out to a hospital or we'll go out to an elementary school and the players will come out and you watch these major league baseball players just make some kids day, which is absolutely amazing. And I've seen Mike Trout do some things that Really, there was nobody else around, but I was watching him make a kid's day, mm-hmm. a, a make-a-wish kid, or Mike Trout in the on-deck circle of a major league game during a game, walk a ball over to a special needs kid in the crowd. I'll never forget this conversation I had with Craig Landis, Mike's agent, when Mike was in the middle of that negotiation for that unbelievable contract he signed to be with the Halos for the next 12 years. And here's something a lot of people don't know about Mike Trout. Uh, uh, Children's Hospital, Chalk, down in Orange County, uh, there's a lot of cancer patients down there that Mike Trout visits with other Angel players on a regular basis. And Craig Landis told me that while they were negotiating, and they were getting a little closer, they were getting close and ready to settle this thing, he got a phone call from Mike Trout. And he said, I want you to get on the phone right now and call John Carpino, the team president of the Angels, and lock this up. Let's get it done because I can't leave the kids. And Craig Landis said, the kids, you mean the young players in the clubhouse, the young kids in the locker room? What what kids are you referring to? And Mike Trout said, I can't leave those kids. 
at shock hospital, the cancer patients that I think that I visit a couple of times a month. Yeah. I mean, that he's gets, a great kid. it gets to, it gets kid. to what we were talking about before. These are good dudes. Yeah. Generally speaking, they're good dudes who try to do the right thing. I, I, I do wish he had a chance to play more. I, we got the, you still have the game coming up. We have to talk about this Turner thing because it's just too weird. Um, so Justin Turner is pulled from the game in the eighth, correct? I have that, I have that correct. And like guys have been reconstructing the timeline. Jeff Passan has done a little bit of it. Uh, Ken Rosenthal has been putting it back together. And apparently what happened was there was an inconclusive positive test yesterday. They were all retested again today. The test comes back in the eighth inning, and the Dodgers are told that Turner has to be pulled and they pull him. Now, there are a lot, you know, the conspiracy theorists, like, you know, the Dodgers knew they were hiding it. I don't buy that. I think, you know, the, the, the Dodgers don't control that process. Major League Baseball does and all that. But it's, it's very strange to me, first of all, that like if you have an inconclusive positive shock the day before, I'm shocked he was alive. Right. Like, like that's, and what would have happened if there was a game seven? Like, do they have to stop and wait a day and let everybody get, like, what happens if the Dodgers don't win this game? It's really, really shocking that he was actually allowed to play. Cause I mean, we, we've seen, we've seen athletes in other sports have to be isolated because of, you know, inconclusive tests. And then, you know, fortunately, a lot of them have turned out to be, you know, either false positives or they've been retested and they were negative, whatever. But I I can't recall, maybe I'm missing it. I can't recall a time where during this period an athlete had an inconclusive test and wasn't isolated. Like well, I, I just can't remember one. Was he on the field celebrating? Did he come yes. out? That was, and I got to say, I understand the impulse and I understand like his teammates wanted him out there. He wanted to be out there. I get it. It's a terrible look. And I, 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 at this point in our collective COVID journey, I try very hard not to be, um, hyper reactionary. I don't, I don't want to be alarmist. Like I, I believe if people are outside and they're wearing masks and they're more than six feet away from each other, like there, there are a lot of things that you can do safely right now. It is a terrible look. Yep. To have Justin Turner out on the field celebrating with his teammates, particularly sitting down there, and I don't think they were all wearing masks the whole time. It is it is a bad look, and It'll I feel terrible for Turner that he couldn't do it, but he shouldn't have been out on the field. And there's another great kid. I mean, Justin Turner. One of oh, the he's fantastic. The pride of Mayfair High School right here in Lakewood. It is so easy to forget now that he was an absolute afterthought signing. Like it was not a he was a reclamation project. Nobody thought anything of the Dodgers bringing in Justin Turner. Like if memory serves, that wasn't even a guaranteed contract. I don't believe it was. The only thing that gives you confidence, Roger, there is like the Mets let him go, and therefore you could just assume that they missed something. Um, but other than that, there was no reason to believe that this was going to turn out anything. Again, likable team with likable players. I realize it's L.A. and everybody wants to be Hollywood. That is not this group of dudes. And how about Max Muncy? Anybody? Yes. Muncy. And the guy's turned into a badass. It's unbelievable. Yeah. He's know, terrific. Really yeah. I mean, I, I remember I was skeptical after that first season. I'm like, okay, was this a fluke or, you know, was this the blip? And no, I mean, he is a legit player. Oh, I was 100% sure it was like when they, and they you know, when, that it was, it was fluky. 100% sure. It was Brady Anderson hitting 48 home runs or whatever that was. 
I mean, yeah. I think he had, I think he had a little help, but you know, I mean, that's what I was, I was 100% sure that was Max Muncy. Yeah, the, there's eventually going to be more reporting on this story with Justin Turner. Oh, and like, yeah. like Brian had said, there's going to be a timeline that comes out and I, I hate even going here because this is such a great day for Dodger fans. It's such a great day for the city. And, you know, like in the last few weeks, you know, Los Angeles has just owned sports and it's awesome. Like, it's really fun. But there's going to be some stuff that comes out from this story that's going to, that a lot of people aren't going to look good. And I'm going to hate to see that because it's something that people are going to remember as part of this whole experience. Yeah. And that sucks. And, and it's unavoidable. Like, you have to, you have to cover this part of the story. Got it's not got like, to. it's just, it, it's, it's going to be a part that people aren't going to enjoy, but unfortunately, it's going to happen. Before we get to the game, um, you're working, Roger, as a consultant on a basketball show, and there's some interesting uh, characters involved with this. This is the best story ever. Uh, my old roommate and my dearest friend in the world is uh, an actor by the name of John Stamos, who was Uncle Jesse on Full House. Who we all I don't think I, I, he, he <laughs> is familiar with his work. Okay, so I get he does a, great work with knitting needles. Oh, he terrific! Shot that. Uh, I'll tell you a great story about that commercial, by the way. But anyway. Uh, he calls me about it's about a year ago now, and he says, "Hey, I got great news. Uh, I, I got a new show. It's a David Kelly series." And I'm like, "David Kelly, the guy's like the top in television." Yeah, but the only problem is I play a basketball coach. Now you have to understand, John Stamos knows nothing about <laughs> sports <laughs> at all. We lived together for 13 years. We were roommates here in LA. Here's all you need to know about John Stamos' sports knowledge. I put up a gigantic poster over my bed years ago of the Bambino, George Herman Babe Ruth, baseball legend. It's above my bed. And Stamos would always come in at like six in the morning wanting to work out before he went to full house, before he went to work. He walks into my room. There's the poster of Babe Ruth. And he walks into my room. <laughs> no. and he, oh, said, no. he says, wait a minute. I didn't know. Do you like guys? Why do you have that poster? <laughs> and, he, and, and he says, he says to me, why do you have that poster of Willie Mays above your bed? Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, man, that's so that terrible on a lot of levels. Wow. He does bring up an interesting point, though. Was that like a like a, like a considerable lure for the ladies when you bring them home and you, you get the Babe Ruth poster above your bed? <laughs> the Bambino. How do you lose? But anyway. Wow. So John gets this, he gets a David Kelly series. It's called Big Shot. He plays a basketball coach. So he's kind of, he has me as his kind of unofficial basketball consultant. We talk basketball nonstop. And here's the best part of this story. I get a call a couple of months ago and he says, hey, uh, do you know anything about the Clippers? You know what that is? And I'm like, you mean the NBA, the LA Clippers? Yeah, yeah. Do you know what do you know about them? And I said, Yeah, they're a pretty good team this year. I think they're gonna do well with these new superstar free agents they have. And he goes, Yeah, okay, but do you know Jerry East? And I said, Do I know Jerry East? Oh my god. And I and I said, No, no that you're know. making that up. No, I'm not. You can call Stables <laughs> right now and get him on the phone. He's and I said, You you don't mean Jerry West, do you? And he goes, Oh my god, yeah, I'm sorry, that's it. Do you know Jerry West? He wants me to come to Clippers practice and we can watch the Clippers and talk basketball. Do you want to come with me? Now, guys, when you walk into my office, 
the the first thing you see is a poster of, of Jerry East. Logo, Jerry East. <laughs> we got to go to a Clipper practice and sit with Jerry West for oh. four hours. And the first thing the logo said to us when we walked in was, you can ask me anything you want, whatever you want to talk about, let's go. So I basically had the logo of the NBA at my side for four hours. That's really good. It was unbelievable. That's really good. With, with, <laughs> the one, with the one guy on the planet who had literally no ability to appreciate it. No clue. Jerry East. Jerry <laughs> Unbelievable. You know what, though? This oh, this reinforces something that I tell people all the time. We in sports, sports fans, people who do this, wildly overestimate how much the rest of the world pays attention to what we do. Oh, absolutely. I oh, mean, absolutely. wildly. Yes. yes. Okay. Qu a quick story. I've got two friends, right? both of us. We have two good friends that are working actors, but neither of them follow sports at all. And one of them, this was in like the late nineties was in a, a chunky soup commercial. And he, he tells me, you know, I'm in a commercial with a, a football player. I'm like, Oh really? Who? He's like, uh, Terrell Davis. He's like, is that a big deal? Like, is this guy, I'm like, yeah, yeah. He's a, he might be like the best at his position in the game. Like at the, the moment and he's like, Oh really? Like, is he, do people know who he is? I'm like, yes, he's, he's a massive star. Had no idea. Then another friend of mine does a commercial. Remember the commercial LeBron did for one of the insurance companies, I think, where he's playing a lawyer in a in a courtroom and there's a guy faking an injury with a neck brace and he throws yes. a basketball to the guy and the guy catches yes. it. That's yes. how LeBron busts him. Our friend is the guy who catches the ball. And he actually called me before he started shooting this thing to find out a little bit about LeBron, like, say, what position does he play? <laughs> Who does he play for? And, you know, he wanted to confirm with me. LeBron's really good, right? I'm like, yes, Le LeBron's quite good. He said the first time LeBron threw the ball at him, it came so fast he ducked. Oh, wow. Like it just scared the <laughs> shit out of him. And he, he like had to tell LeBron, like, look, I, I know this seems like a softball pass to you. I, I need you to down <laughs> a, little a, little, bit. a little softer. And I actually, I the first time I ever met LeBron, and this is, I think he was still with the Cavs. I, I told him this after a scrum, and he started laughing. He's like, "Yeah, that that guy was not quite ready." What? <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, people people don't know this stuff. Like there there are a lot of people. Like if you don't follow sports, there are you really have no there reason. Are more, I'm willing to bet there are, if not more, almost as many people in LA who do not know who LeBron James and Anthony Davis are as there are people who do. And it seems crazy to say that out loud, but I am 100% convinced it's true. I have held up every show I've ever worked on on the set because of sports trivia. On the set of Blind Date, my old dating show, we would we would shoot every other Saturday for about 14 hours, okay? And we would do like the equivalent of 12 shows. It took us about 14 hours to do that. The reason it took 14 hours, because for six of those hours, I was holding things up by playing sports trivia with the guys on the crew. But it's amazing what I thought was such an easy sports question that people had no idea what I was talking about. It's crazy. Yeah. Real quick before I mean, and it's a good segue, by the way, when you mention uh, Blind Date. And yes, uh, as the kid from uh, NYC points out, Blind Date on UPN, post-game chat, Blind Date was awesome. Um, <laughs> our mom 
our mom really likes basketball and she really likes the Lakers, but she follows them. If you even want to call it following them from St. Louis, you know, she does the best that she can, you know, that's where we grew up. That's where she lives. And she never really followed the Lakers at all until the Kobe Shaq years. And it was really because I was out here and I was a big fan and she was just trying to have things to talk about with her son halfway across the country. And she, she likes basketball anyway, but her, her knowledge of the Lakers goes no further back than Kobe Shaq. So one time she's in she's in LA visiting and she's watching either pre or post on Spectrum from a Laker game because she'd watched the game and she sees James Worthy. And after James doing either pre or post, I'm talking with her and she's like, you know, James Worthy is so great on Spectrum. Like, so, you know, he's really funny and he breaks things down really great and he's really smart. Like she, he's just really great at his job. I'm like, yeah, James is awesome. He's really, he's awesome. How do they find him? Where do they where do they find James Worthy? <laughs> Mom, <laughs> open open audition, open God casting call. You know, nailed it. Absolutely nailed his audition for Spectrum. She had no idea who James Worthy was. Like, not and this is somebody who likes the Lakers, but no clue. Yeah, God bless her. God All right. bless her. So speaking of blind date, uh, I've got a yeah, game right. for you guys to play. And oh, it is a trivia game, a quiz game, inspired loosely from your time, Roger, hosting Blind Date. Okay. I'm going to ask you guys some questions um, from movies that either involve dating or blind characters, one okay. or the other. And sure. I'm going to quiz you guys. And um, is this a you, shout your name out? Kind no, of thing no, no, no. Multiple yeah. choice. Okay. Multiple <laughs> choice. You guys each get, I, I, I find over uh, virtual, uh, your name is your buzzer, too chaotic. Okay. But uh, anyway. And it prefers a calm game. I'm going, every answer for me is that Vin Diesel movie. (laughs) (laughs) We begin. Which of these movies are not in the top five for romantic comedies, domestic box office? Okay. Brian will go first. My Big Fat Greek Wedding, Pretty Woman, There's Something About Mary, Jerry Maguire. Brian goes first. Give me that list again. My Big Fat Greek Wedding, Uh Pretty Woman. There's something about Mary, Jerry Maguire, which is not, which of these are not Jerry Maguire. Top five. Roger. I'm going to, I'm going to go my big fat Greek wedding. Oh, that was Actually, like number one. That is number one. My Come big on, fat Greek wedding. It, it that is made a zillion dollars. $241 million to be exact. Uh, Jerry, Maguire, Jerry Maguire, uh, Outside the top uh, top five with 154 million. Pretty Woman, 178. There's something about Mary, 176. Brian up one to nothing. You should know, Roger. We play these hey. games to win. We do not show sympathy or anything oh, oh, to our guests here. Way, before we get to the second question, <laughs> you had that. It's still here. Wow. Those, please tell me that's not the first thing you, your future wife saw when you guys <laughs> met. Like, you know, that, that's not what you did. I mean, no. God bless her if it is. Wow, some some All lucky right, ladies coming that's home. Hot. That <laughs> is lucky that ladies is, coming home with Roger Lodge. Unbelievable. Work done for me right there. All right, what's okay. question number two? What is the real name of the man who becomes Daredevil, the blind superhero? Matt Murdock, Mike Milligan, Mark Mitchell, Moses McKnight. Uh, Moses Malone. Mitchell. 
He played for the Cavs. Oh, that was Mike Mitchell. Uh, can you give me those names one more time? Matt Murdoch, yeah. Mike Milligan, Mark Mitchell, Moses McKnight. That's uh, Mike Milligan. I'm going. Brian. I want. I want the answer to be Moses McKnight. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I'm going with. It's actually Matt Murdoch. Uh, oh, Moses, I made up uh, Moses. And Mike Milligan is a character on Fargo, the TV show. Which actor was not considered for Sam Baldwin, the character played by Tom Hanks in Sleepless in Seattle? Dennis Quaid, John Ritter, Harrison Ford, Michael Keaton. Brian goes first. Not considered for the role played by Tom Hanks. I will say Harrison Ford. Roger. I'm going... Harrison Ford is the obvious answer there, but I'll go John Ritter. Oh, you should have gone with the obvious answer. It's Harrison Ford. The other three were all down to nothing. Yeah, down to nothing. Wow. True or one of my great throwaway lines on any Letterman episode ever. Get yourself a good deal down there at Harrison Ford. (laughs) (laughs) True or false? Roger's going first on this one. True or false? Donald Trump has a brief appearance. Incent of a woman, which was centered around Al Pacino's blind character. Hooah! I'll go true. I think that's false. The answer is false. It was almost true, though. According to Chris O'Donnell, when the production was permitted to film at Manhattan's Plaza Hotel, they agreed to allow a cameo by the then-owner Donald Trump with wife then Marla Maples. The scene was ultimately cut, though. Um, Next question goes to Brian first. Which of these stars, Brian, up 3 nothing. which of these stars from Notting Hill received Golden Globe nominations for their performances? Julia Roberts, Hugh Grant, both or neither? Hugh Grant. Neither. It's both. They oh. both got Golden Globes. Remember, the Golden Globes, everybody gets nominated. When in <laughs> doubt, when in doubt, guess it's everybody. It's the fourth grade soccer show uh, of, of awards. Uh, Brian's still up 3-0. Roger's going first on this one. Gwyneth Paltrow won Best Actress for the romantic comedy Shakespeare in Love. Yes. Who else in the cast won an Oscar for that movie? Jeffrey Rush, Tom Wilkinson, Judi Dench, or Joseph Fiennes? Judi Dench. Uh, Joseph Fiennes. It's Judy Dench. It was oh, a cameo. Yeah. Only about Roger six. On the board. I'm on the board, baby. Like Only the Dodgers, four. once you get one, it's easy to get more. Only about six total minutes of uh, screen time, but she won an Oscar for it. Uh, a couple more. Which band is on the T-shirt John Cusack is wearing during his first kickboxing workout in the oh. romantic comedy Say Anything? Kid. Brian's going first. Oh. Fishbone, The Clash, Husker Du, Red Hot Chili Peppers. I think it's the clash no it's red hot chili peppers come on no it's the clash it actually <laughs> is the clash you brian said that up- such a such an arrogant tone roger <laughs> now this is the last question brian up for nothing but roger for one for one for one for one as luck would have it just pure happenstance this last question happens to be worth four so yeah. <laughs> so you could still win it. Still win it. <laughs> Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor teamed up in a god-off movie, See No Evil, Hear No Evil, about a blind man, Richard Pryor, and a deaf man, Gene Wilder, who witness a, a murder. According to Gene Wilder's autobiography, how many times did he originally turn down the script 
because of its <laughs> because of its depiction of blind and deaf people. Once, twice, three times, he never turned it down. He only realized how funny it was or how unfunny it was once filming began. Yeah, it was no stir crazy. I'll say <laughs> no, I'll, it was I'll, not. I'll say he never turned it down. I will say three. Oh, the answer is twice. He turned it down <laughs> twice before eventually, I guess, getting a big enough paycheck that he decided to overlook the depiction I will, of I will blind deaf people. I will into a win here, Roger, but I'll take it. This is the greatest game ever, ever invented. That's so much fun. I love the kid it. from no, NYC, you... 98 times. <laughs> no, the, the correct answer is one too few. <laughs> it is a really, you really thought this game movie. was good, Roger. You should have missed last night when we had JP on. We played Name That Horn. Oh, there, there's a game right there. Oh, yeah. Love Be it. surprised what you can do with horns. Or maybe you wouldn't be. I, I don't know. <laughs> All right, but the, this was fun. This was really fun. Before we let you go, uh, real someone uh, really quick wants to ask a question. Post game chat. Do you have a favorite episode of Blind Date? Uh, wow. You know there is because it's for, for a crazy reason that you wouldn't even think of. Uh, see, I never met any of the daters, and people used to ask me all the time, "Boy, you meet oh, all really? these girls on Blind Date." I would come in and, and write what I was going to say and watch. I'd watch the date yeah. show a hundred times. I was a producer on the show. So I, I had to know what clips we were going to use and what I was going to say coming out of that wacky video. There was a guy that came on our show four times and all four times he got blistering drunk, stumbled, mumbled his way through a date from hell, got rejected all four times and made his way every single date onto the blind date wall of shame or had to take the wall of shame <laughs> i remember the wall of shame he walked up to me in a ralph's grocery store in sherman oaks california one night <laughs> and he was completely stone cold sober and he said to me roger i just want to shake your hand and thank you for changing my life because the four times i came on your show you made fun of me every single time and ever since the last episode, I haven't had a sip of alcohol yet. Uh, wow. Since. Oh, that's a blind great date, story. Blind date got me sober, and I just wanted to thank you for that. Yeah, that is I a tell great you what, story. It's been so much easier to be around Andy since then. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Roger. He even, took, always... he even took down the Babe Ruth poster he used to keep above <laughs> his bed. Roger, I've really, this whole episode and inviting you on was just really a big long setup for me to say thank you <laughs> i just i wanted to do it face to face and let me tell you guys something before i get out of here because you have no idea that that, that i have been big fans of both of yours for a long, oh, thank long you. time i've been in southern california my entire life and when you guys started coming up on the radio over at espn radio whenever the kamenitskis were sitting in I would always go out of my way to make sure I was listening because you guys do it. You, you're the hard work that you put into your what you do is so gosh darn evident. So I'm a big fan, and I was thrilled to be able to do this. So thanks so much. Well, for thank you. That, I'm that sure means a lot, point, man. Yeah, at some point you were saying to yourself, you know, one day there will be a you know a Twitter, and one day these guys will have a, a late night show, and and, and damn it, I'm going to be on that thing. 
Um, <laughs> no, but that's really, really, that's really nice, fun. man. That's we appreciate really nice. it. And we, we appreciate the support. We appreciate all of it. Uh, Roger Lodge tonight, AM 830, the Sports Lodge drive time every day. Make sure you're tuning in. George Sedano going to talk a little Dodgers tomorrow. Um, Ted Wynn, Ted Wynn from The Athletic and just does fantastic work breaking down the NFL and video and all that kind of stuff. He's going to be by on Thursday and Friday, TBD. That just means we don't know yet. It's not, we're not, we're not hey, teasing anything. It's not a super can surprise. We a, can we make a blind date right now? Can you guys someday, very, very soon, both of you come into the sports lodge and we can do my afternoon yeah. drive radio. Here oh, we'd love to. That would be awesome. Absolutely. Right. That would be, so that'd much. be fantastic. No, thank you, Roger. Thank you. We really appreciate it, man. Thank you very much. This was right. fun. Right. This was we'll a lot. We'll see everybody tomorrow. Right. Thank you, Nita. Oh, snuck that oh, in there. Oh, stop. <laughs>